one single exchange in history stands tall. Our world changed forever. One man's life for the future of all. The exchange of God's son for the sin of the world. Death into life. God's plan for righteousness unfurled. As dark becomes light. Sorrow becomes joy. Freedom from chains, hope that fear can no longer destroy. Accepted, not rejected. For God sent his son. That our future could change. And this is the great exchange. Thank you. Thanks for the welcome. And uh, welcome to part two of this series, The Great Exchange. Uh, as we go through life, we make plenty of small exchanges on a daily basis, don't we? This is happening tomorrow in the playgrounds as children exchange stickers and marbles and whatever it is these days that children swap. And uh, teenagers, as they exchange their first kiss and swap some saliva in the process. And uh, adults, as we have uh, various transactions online, in shops, with our cards. And roughly in those small exchanges, you get what you pay for. That's the deal, isn't it, in our economic climate? You get what you pay for. But there are moments in life, not small exchanges, but life can be defined by moments of great exchange, can't it? I think for myself, in September the year 2000, I exchanged singleness for marriage. And that was a great exchange. I got a lot more than I bargained for um, in my fantastic wife, Charlotte. And uh, I like to think that she did all right out of the deal um, as well. You may be wondering what, what, what I mean by that. Well, at least at a financial level, she brought to our marriage her student loans and exchanged them for my small family inheritance. So <laughs> if ever you've wondered what she saw in me, uh, <laughs> more than meets the eye. Anyway, great exchange. And then uh, in the year two, uh, 2007, we exchanged, in, within our marriage, we exchanged peace and harmony and spare time uh, for children, um, which is also a great exchange, isn't it? They take everything we've got and in exchange give us dirty nappies, which actually, as you'll see, is a pretty good summary of this message as we go through. My life, though, has been most defined, more than any of that, most defined by a great exchange that happened back in 1987. As a young boy, I remember going to Sunday school, where I thought the exchange I was interested in was that I'd memorized the verse of the Bible, and our Sunday school teacher had promised the Mars bar if you could say it word perfect. Do they still use bribery in our... Uh, in, yeah, yeah, we're still using that tactic, okay. So this bit of bribery was going on, and I remember memorizing this verse, the most famous verse in the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16. And as a young boy, as I spoke these words, I got more than I bargained for. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And I lost interest, which is remarkable for a young boy, isn't it? I lost interest in the Mars bars. I became aware of God's great love. And I remember at the end of that Sunday school, kneeling with the Sunday school teacher, Sally was her name, and giving my life to Jesus. In that moment, I experienced the great exchange as I, through faith, gave him all my sin, past and in particular, present and future, and he gave me all his forgiveness and righteousness. That is a life-defining moment. 
Now, today, 19th of March, 2017, this is a wonderful day for a great exchange for us. For some of us, for the very first time, Jesus Christ is here today saying, why don't you give me your sin? Why don't you give me your shame? Why don't you give me all the stuff that is ruining life? Give that to me and let me give you forgiveness. A new start, my righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Today is a great day for a great exchange. Amen? Amen. For some of us, maybe for the very first time, for others of us, to believe it and experience it like it's the first time today. Now, to bring us to that experience, I want to take hold of one passage of the Bible from Isaiah chapter 53. This, is, this page of your Bible is perhaps the most, I think, one of the most remarkable in the whole thing. It's a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus that with pinpoint accuracy predicts perhaps 600 years before what would happen to him. Right down to the detail of how he would die, the kind of burial he would have, the fact that he would be raised to life and that the nations of the earth would be impacted by him. It's all on this page. Isn't that extraordinary? I honestly think if I just had this page of my Bible, I would believe the whole thing and that Jesus is God's Son. It truly is a miracle. And as we walk onto it then, I want to imagine us standing on holy ground and taking in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53. And I think the reason that the Lord, in his providence, inspired this page is because he wanted us to know two things. Firstly, the the death of Jesus Christ is absolutely crucial. I mean, if the build-up to an event begins 600 years before the event, you know it's pretty important, right? This is building up hundreds of years before to say the cross of Jesus is absolutely crucial. We have no hope apart from what happens in this page and what it means. This is our crucial hope. The word crucial comes from a Latin word crux, which is the Latin word for cross. When we say the cross is the crux then, we're saying it's absolutely central to the whole of our faith. But not only is it crucial, we're also reading here a prophecy that says, and it was absolutely planned. When you see the death of Jesus, we're going to have a a video portrayal now that just captures the words and something of what Jesus went through. When you see this, it could look like a tragedy. It, It could look like one of the greatest sort of accidents or injustices of history. But this page is telling us, actually, it was God's plan. Hundreds of years in advance, this was all planned out right down to the detail. This is no accident. This is the great exchange. So would you sit back and enjoy and be impacted by Isaiah 53 from the scriptures. Please watch this. Behold, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him 
and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. This amazing passage begins with the word behold, and it's a word to get our attention, behold, attention, achtung, whatever you might say, stop what you're doing, you know, put down your pens, pull over, switch off your phones, there is something here that we must see in what Jesus has done. And so with that word behold, I want to give three things that we need to behold today, behold the suffering, behold the substitution, and behold the salvation. And the first thing then that we behold at the foot of the cross is the suffering of Jesus. We as Christians will regularly say and sing, Jesus died for me. But we really sometimes think, do we have any idea what that means? Jesus died for me. We haven't seen a public execution. There haven't been public executions in this country since 1868 was the last one. And we certainly haven't witnessed a crucifixion. The the Romans, who were pretty brutal, even for the Romans in the 4th century AD, they banned crucifixion as too brutal a way for someone to die. So we've not witnessed what it means to say, Jesus died for me. And yet this passage brings us in to the depth of suffering by noting in verse 14 of chapter 52, many were appalled at him. He was disfigured beyond human likeness. The death of Jesus took him to a place where he became almost like a piece of meat more than a human being. He was disfigured beyond human likeness. The word appalled can mean to can conjure up the idea of being sick. The idea is that if you'd witnessed the sufferings of Jesus, you would have to have turned your face away. To avoid it. Now, the depth of his suffering then brings us into his experience. And three words in particular, a few words in this passage, conjure up in our minds what he went through, again, with miraculous predictive powers. Notice these words wounded, crushed, and pierced. They were all in this prophecy hundreds of years before, but they're very accurate to what actually happened. Firstly, the word wounded. In fact, that word is often translated stripes because the kinds of wounds are specific. They were the stripes from lashing. Jesus would have had his hands pinned above his 
head uh, with chains so that his back was exposed as Roman soldiers whipped over him a cat of nine tails, leather strands with bone and metal meshed in in order to tear into the sufferer's veins and sinew and flesh. He was wounded and his body covered in the stripes of lashing. And then crushed, he was forced to carry the crushing weight of the cross, possibly only the, 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 the horizontal beam, which in itself may have weighed up to 100 pounds. And we know from the gospel narratives that it was too crushing a weight. It fell on Jesus and another had to carry it for him. He was crushed and then pierced. Again, what an incredibly accurate word for what actually happened hundreds of years before. It predicted the moment when six-inch nails were smashed through his wrists and his ankles in order to pierce and pin him to the cross that he might be lifted up for approximately six hours to hang in excruciating pain before crowds. This is the suffering. Behold, the suffering of Jesus for us. And we use that word excruciating. I've certainly said that word in far too casual a way because you might be able to hear that word crux again, excruciating. It literally, that word means out from the cross. Excruciating pain is a reference back to the moment where Jesus suffered in a way beyond our even physical suffering. But it wasn't just the physical suffering. If you read the gospel accounts, you notice not just physical torture, but also psychological torment. It says that he was lifted up on the cross and that crowds gathered around. In fact, he was crucified in a very public place. It says that passers-by hurled their insults at him. In other words, some people who were just going off to the shops or to work or wherever it must be, just, they, they were just walking past, and as they walked past, they hurled insults at him. Jesus suffered in a way that Isaiah 53 puts it, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Behold the sufferings of Jesus. I don't know what you're going through today, but behold the sufferings of Jesus. He went through this for us. Does that slightly revise what we mean when we say and when we sing, Christ died for me? Pierced, crushed, wounded, despised and rejected, and he did it all for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it helpful sometimes to meditate on the sufferings of Jesus. Because as I come to this place of taking in what he did... It's a purifying effect, isn't it? Doesn't this drive out sin and complacency and compromise from us? If he went through all of that for me, I want to live for him. Amen? I don't want to live a half-hearted Christianity away with moderate Christianity. There's nothing moderate about what he did for us. As C.T. Studd put it, he, um, thank you, he was... Uh, C.T. Studd was a cricketer, played for England actually, and a, and a very wealthy man. And he gave up the lot to be a missionary to China and other places. And he famously said, if Jesus Christ be God, and if he died for me, what sacrifice could be too great for me to make for him? Something in us dies, doesn't it, when we see Jesus dying for us. We die to sin. I don't want to live in sin anymore. Next time you arrive at the crossroads of temptation, remember the suffering and say, I don't want sin any longer. I want to live for him. The, the next time we arrive at the crossroads of selfishness, no, I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for the one who gave everything for me. Something in us dies 
as we meditate on behold the suffering of Jesus. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it, I love this verse, I, he says, I know Christ was crucified, but he says this, I have been crucified with him. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we come through to that final statement, it's a game changer in our lives. He loved me and he gave himself for me. Behold the suffering. But then secondly, behold the substitute. I remember watching The Passion of the Christ. Some of those images were from the film that Mel Gibson put together. And you, you may have seen it. It was an 18. It was pretty brutal, depicting fairly accurately what Jesus went through. And I remember as the film finished, we stood up in the cinema to leave. And the guy in front stood up, having watched the film. And he just says, so what was the point of all of that? You know, I mean, wh- why did we just watch a film of seemingly gratuitous violence? What was the point of all of that? It's a good question, isn't it? And Isaiah 53 verse 6 gives a very good answer. This is the point of all that. Behold the substitute. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Many years back, as I said back in the year 2000 actually, when I went to the jeweller to buy my wife um, a diamond ring, this is the uh, actual diamond I have here actually, <coughs> as you can imagine, she's worth everything to me. Uh, anyway, I went to uh, buy her a diamond ring and I remember that before the jeweller would show me the diamonds in the ring, he took out a black velvet cloth and laid it on the counter and only then would he put the diamond ring on it because he knew that if I was going to see the beauty of the diamond, it would only come out against that black backdrop. And the beauty of the cross is only revealed fully as we see it against the black backdrop of our sin. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. You know, when the Bible speaks to us as sheep, I'm afraid to break the news to you, but it's not a compliment. (laughs) Sheep in the Bible are not cute and cuddly, they are willful creatures who turn to their own way. We actually, as a family, we have a sheepdog. Now that would be a compliment. They're intelligent animals, sheepdogs, aren't they? But that's not the idea. The sheepdog, if it gets lost, might find its own way home. A sheep, if it gets lost, will never find its own way home. It has to be rescued and saved. We all, like sheep, have turned astray. I remember the farmer who we got our dog from I remember him saying in a gruff northern accent, you know, sheep, he said to us, sheep are stupid animals, he said. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you, you, as a farmer, he says, you put them into a field that you've prepared green pasture for them, you've built a fence for their safety and protection, and the first thing they'll do as they go into the field is go around the perimeter, butting at the fence, trying to find a way out, convinced, I presume in their sheep minds, that the best life is outside of the farmer's restrictions. You know, the farmers robbing us of our future and our fulfillment. They go around the field, there must be more than this, trying to find their way out. And when they get out, they find themselves in terrible trouble. And the Bible says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And so in the, in the cross of Jesus Christ then, we are firstly reminded of the things that have gone wrong in the human heart. 
We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the key to the cross is this. What has God done? If you like, what has the farmer done uh, in the face of our rebellion, our sort of Frank Sinatra, best of all, I do it my way, as we turn away from God, what has God done? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here then, behold the substitute. That when we substitute ourselves for God and try and live our own way, the mercy and grace of the cross is that God substituted himself for us and died in our place through Jesus Christ. Here's how John Stott puts it in a fantastic summary of this idea of the substitute. He says this, The essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. Sin is when we put ourselves in God's place, but grace is when God put himself in our place. Imagine the the life of Jesus Christ represented by this purity. Imagine the righteousness of Jesus. And it's as if on the cross, Jesus is stripped naked of all his righteousness. All that's taken from him. And then imagine, on the other hand... Our lives represented by this darkness, the the sin, the iniquity, the sheep-like rebellion in our hearts. And here's what's happening on the cross. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In this moment, Jesus Christ is our substitute. He takes our place. He dies for our sin. On the cross... God made the soul of Jesus to be the place where he exercised his divine judgment for everything that we have done wrong in our lives. For every willful act of disobedience and every moment of negligence, it all fell on him. Now that begins to reveal the physical suffering as actually a window through which to see all of the deeper, darker reality of the cross. That's why Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he is cut off from the Father, engulfed by the darkness of our sin. That's why in that moment, darkness came upon the land as he died. He is bearing our punishment, taking our sin in order that it might be lifted off us, placed on him. Isn't that extraordinary? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, as I hear this message, I I hear two things coming loud and clear from the cross then. I want every one of us to hear today. The cross says two things very clearly. This is how lost we are, and this is how loved we are. The cross says this is how lost we are. If you want to know what our wrong and sin deserve, look at the suffering of Jesus, because in this moment, he's in our shoes He's taking our place. As our substitute, he's getting what we deserve. It reveals, doesn't it, the seriousness of our sin. This is how lost we are. The fact that he needed to do this for us to be forgiven shows how serious our sin is. Only, the only cleansing agent that can shift the guilty stains of our sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. 
That's how lost we are, but also this is how loved we are. Isn't it extraordinary? The fact that he needed to do it shows us how lost we are, but the fact that he wanted to do it shows us how loved we are, doesn't it? No one forced him to carry this weight. He said willingly, I choose for us to die in their place. This is how lost we are, and this is how loved we are. Behold the suffering, behold the substitute, and then out of his suffering and out of his substitution, behold the salvation. Behold the salvation. See, when we understand the cross in the way I've described, we can then begin to appreciate the great exchange that came from it. Put it this way. The great exchange is this. He took all our bad stuff so that he could give us all of his good stuff. Isn't that an amazing thought? He took all our bad stuff in our place in order that we can have all of his goodness sharing his place. He's the son of God, and through the great exchange, we become sons and daughters of God. He's righteous, we become righteous. He's blessed, we become blessed, but for that to happen, for us to be blessed, he became cursed. For us to be accepted by God, he was cut off from the Father. This is the great exchange. And the way Isaiah puts it is, Isaiah 53 verse 12 says that he will divide the spoils with the many. It's the picture of a warrior who wins a great victory, and out of that victory, he's now acquired all the wealth of his captives, and he brings it and says, I'm going to share this with my people. We get to share in all the spoils, all the booty, all the goodness of Jesus out of his great victory. This is the great exchange. He took all our bad stuff, we get all of his good stuff. Let me illustrate this with a couple of applications. The first is this. Jesus took our sin so we could have his righteousness. Or as Isaiah 53:11 puts it, my righteous servant will justify many. We've already looked at the exchange of the cross that our sin was placed onto him, but we need to complete the picture by recognizing it's not just that he took away our negative, our sin, but he gives us his positive. Because he took this off us, that's forgiveness, he can also clothe us in his righteousness. That is justification. That makes us appear before God clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus. By his wounds we're healed. By his suffering we are justified. Put right with God. Now this is a verdict that you would expect to happen at the end of your life. Religion sort of builds up to this normally. Most forms of religion have the idea that we go through life hoping we've done enough good stuff of ourselves... And at the end of life, we're sort of hoping in a wishful way that in the end, we'll get the verdict of being justified. God will say, yeah, you've done more good than bad. I accept you. That's so often how religion works, but it's not the Christian message. The Christian message is before the end, ahead of time, God makes us righteous simply by believing in Jesus. Because he took all of our sin, we are clothed in his righteousness. And this changes everything. 
As Dave said earlier, I've been working towards a doctorate, which um, is a big piece of work, involves writing a large thesis, a sort of book effectively, on an academic subject. That's one part of the test. And then that all comes to a head in what's known as a viva, which is a sort of oral examination. You have to go into a room with professors who've read your work, and there you have to defend your ideas to see whether you've passed, whether you're uh, awarded the uh, conferred as a doctor. And uh, about 10 days ago, I had my viva. And uh, the normal way it works is you go in and you face about a two-hour grilling from these professors who've read your work. And then you're asked to leave the room. And when you're out of the room, they decide whether you've passed or not. And then you're brought back in. Now, as you can imagine, that's a pretty nervous two hours, right? That's a two hours where you're geared up to defend yourself, to justify your ideas. And so I arrived at my viva with a healthy set of nerves. Uh, ready to defend myself. I walked in, I sat down, and after a few pleasantries, the, uh, the, the lead professor said, uh, well, Andrew, we've decided to tell you at the start that you've passed. Well done, Dr. Ollerton. And shook my hand. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> so I faced two hours having already passed. That changed everything. <laughs> We had a very nice conversation, <laughs> and they did make some helpful corrections to my work, but with a totally different atmosphere. I wasn't facing these ideas or corrections, wondering if it was all going to cancel. No, 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 you've already passed. We'll confer the status on you now, and now let's have a chat about some ways you could improve. That is the Christian faith, folks. He... <laughs> yeah. He confers the status on us now through faith in Jesus and then says, now let's talk about some ways that we can improve. This is justification. The improvement is sanctification. But it's important that we get it the right way around or else we're going to have a stressful, not couple of hours, couple of decades or however long you've got left. Don't wait till the end to find out if you've passed. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and we're justified now. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now today, I want to encourage you then to experience the great exchange. Some of us, maybe for the first time, need to come to Jesus as if coming to the cross and say, Lord, take my dark stuff and clothe me with your white righteousness. That is an incredible moment. And for all of us, it's a moment we keep having to come back to, to remind ourselves that salvation ultimately is not through our efforts, but through his salvation, through his death for us. When we get this then, it's the end of our striving to be good enough for God, to try and please him, to make ourselves worthy. Many of us may even be Christians, but we're still struggling to feel worthy or accepted before God I want to encourage you, you'll never do it yourself. You've got to receive it as a gift. And some people experienced this on a ministry day on our beta course just recently. Experienced ministry to receive all the work of Jesus. And I wanted to read a couple of statements to you. This is what this means in real terms. Here's one person. I never felt good enough, but now my guilt has gone and I feel loved. Thank you, Jesus. Another person said, all my life I've worried about judgment, 
But now I'm secure because salvation is in Jesus. Another person said, I've been set free from the fear of not being good enough. That's the great exchange. We're made righteous simply through faith in the one who died for us. Don't rely on your great endeavor. Experience the great exchange. That's one thing. Just briefly, another. The second way that the cross speaks to us today is that Jesus was wounded so we could be healed. He was wounded so we could be healed. Here's how Isaiah 53 puts it. By his wounds, we are healed. Notice then, it's not just that he can forgive our sin, but he can heal our wounds. The cross of Jesus is 360 degree salvation. It's absolutely complete. It's not lacking in anything. I remember taking my car to the garage once and it had two things wrong with it. And the garage, I remember saying, well, we can fix this one, but I'm afraid there's nothing we can do about that. And so the car was condemned, a write-off, right? Jesus Christ never turns anyone away as a write-off. He can forgive your sins and he can heal your wounds. Here's how Isaiah 53 puts it. Not just that he carried our sins, but we also read this. He carried our sorrows. He took up our infirmities, our physical sicknesses, and he carried our sorrows, our emotional pain. All of it went to the cross with Jesus that we might be saved from the job lot. Isn't that good news? Today he wants not only to forgive our sins, but also to bring healing to our wounds. I don't know if you have songs that you regularly sing in the shower. Uh, I must admit, I'm someone who sings in the shower, and I sing one song, actually. I'm a bit of a stuck CD, stuck record. I sing this song in the shower pretty much every morning. Uh, it's a hymn, actually. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Do you know this hymn? And I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and unclean. And one of the verses says this. It's from Isaiah 53. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How wonderful, how marvelous is my Savior's love for me. That's a good song to sing in the shower. I recommend it amongst others. But the key is he took our sins and our sorrows. So today, bring the lot to Jesus. You may be facing physical pain. I want to encourage you, Come today to receive prayer for healing because out of everything that Jesus achieved at the cross, there is healing in the name of Jesus. Amen? He took our sins and our sorrows. By his wounds, we're healed. And if your body is hurting, come for prayer for healing. But if your soul is hurting, some wounds are deeper than the body, aren't they? I remember our daughter when she was upset one time when she was young and she came and she just, with tears in her eyes, she just said, Daddy, my heart hurts. <laughs> it's just a cute way of saying, I've got pain on the inside. And some of us today, our hearts may be hurting. I want to encourage you, bring that to Jesus as well. He carried your sorrows. And today he wants to bring freedom from shame, from the pain caused by abuse. He can set us free to live a new life where our future is not condemned by our past because he carried it all to the cross. Amen? Once again, listen to these uh, testimonies from the Beta Day on this area of healing. 
physical and emotional. One person said, my stomach has been healed. My ankle pain has gone. Physical healing. And then emotional. God has taken away all my shame. I've been healed emotionally today. My baggage has been taken from me. Thank you, Jesus. Another person said, the new freedom I felt has been immense. I can truly leave my hurts behind. Another person said, I have been released. I have been healed. Jesus is alive and he set me free. He died for all of it. Bring all of it to the cross today. I want to finish with this profound thought. At the end of Isaiah 53, we read this. The afterwards, the after the suffering, after the suffering of his soul, Isaiah 53, 11, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life, that's his resurrection, beautiful, isn't it? After the suffering of his soul, that's his death, he will see the light of life, that's his resurrection, and then what? And be satisfied. Would you say that with me? And be satisfied. Now just pause for a moment and think about this. Tis mystery all. What, what, could he, what, could possibly, what could possibly be worth all of that? I mean, the crushing, the lashing, the wounding, the piercing, and in some mysterious way, the Son of God, who had it all before, you would think, comes out of it all and says, it was worth it. He will be satisfied at the other end. What could possibly make him say that? You know the answer? Us. The only thing he got out of this that he didn't have before it is us. He died for us. He suffered for us. Behold the suffering, the wounding, the crushing, the piercing. Behold the suffering and then behold the satisfaction. He looks at us and says, and and, and now I don't mean the crowd, I mean the individual. He looks us in the eyes, one to one today, and says, I'm satisfied. If I had to, he doesn't. If I had to, I'd do it all again. For you, it was worth it. Isn't that extraordinary? I don't know what rejection issues you may suffer from. I don't know what unworthiness you may have. I don't know what pain you may feel. But there is love here, as vast as an ocean. And it can heal the whole lot when the Savior looks us in the eye and says it was worth it for you. That is healing power in the name of Jesus. That is the great exchange. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for what you endured for us. Behold the suffering. We pause in your presence to thank you for being wounded and crushed and pierced for us. Behold the substitute. We thank you that you did it in our place. You knew that we needed it. Our sin was that serious. You needed to, but most amazingly today, we realize you wanted to. This is how lost we are, and this is how loved we are through Jesus. Behold the suffering, behold the substitute, and behold the salvation. Clothed in your righteousness, 
with hands clean, cleansed and hearts cleansed, singing praises to you. We thank you that we're forgiven and healed simply through faith in Jesus. And we thank you that as you look out over this vast crowd and you look into every individual heart, we thank you that you look at us and say, it was worth it all. Thank you for the oceans of love that are for us in Jesus today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.